This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, bitches. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Um, per usual, we have a lot to talk about, so again, why are we going to waste time? Omar Mubayed on with me tonight. How you doing, pal? Hola, senor. We haven't been in this position in a very long time, have we? Yes, I know we have not. I know you uh, are want to have the uh, victory beer. Um, I have decided to mix things up a little bit and have... A whiskey of sadness because <laughs> Miami FC have lost three consecutive games, something that uh, they hadn't lost two consecutive games the whole season as I pour my Johnny Walker double black. All right, there we go. Um, yeah, it's been a rough stretch, and drinking's the only way to get through it, so let's do it. Um, Cheers, mate. We, uh, salute. Um, we're aware of uh, the loss to the New York Cosmos. Um of the three games, I feel like that's the one that you can kind of live with. Road game, Cosmos, such is life. Cosmos were hungry to get back in the, you know, in in the hunt. Um, the loss to Cincinnati. We're going to talk all about the more in, in a little more detail in just a second, but I kind of want to overview the the week and a half that was. Uh, the loss to, to Cincinnati was really crushing uh, for a lot of reasons, um, and then you have this loss to North Carolina. And I feel like that was the culmination of just kind of like a failure train that just you kind of got railroaded by it. And really the the way in which the team lost was perhaps the most inexplicable and most frustrating part of it. Um, So so let's go back. We had talked about the Cosmos uh, last week, correct? Yes. Yes. So let's um, let's focus first on Cincinnati, which I, I feel like is is the the headline loss it's the big story loss because it was the big story of the summer really besides El Clasico when you talk about soccer in in Miami-Dade County um was this this open cup run it's hard to be mad it's hard to be disappointed in the totality of it because of everything that it involved but man that was a disappointing loss last Wednesday yeah it was a tough one to swallow I think across the board for fans the first time you know Miami FC game goer uh the players themselves the staff the technical director i think top to bottom i think everybody kind of saw that game and said ah man like this is the game that you can't really afford to lose and you lost it and i think it goes back to what i was saying you know last week and the weeks before that cincinnati got away with everything and more uh they got away with getting the perfect reschedule date in terms of getting some of their guys healthy um from what i discussed with some of the people from cincinnati is that this team that traveled down for the win on you know August second uh, was nowhere near the caliber of the team that traveled that traveled down you know in July. And the reason for that is because they had a lot of injuries. A lot of guys came back to the fold, and they were able to sign a couple guys you know who have European experience. And I think that was the case. I think uh, Cincinnati came out early and ran a high press system, something that I don't even think anybody really expected because. 
they're more their tendency is really just to sit back and park the bus and defend and not allow you to have a good night attacking kind of frustrate you and then when they can break you on a counter they'll break you on a counter and you know if they get one goal good for them and what did we see we saw a team that was pressing we saw a team that was incredibly fast on a counterattack and you know props to them i wish i didn't have to see so much of their stuff on my twitter timelines because it, it sucks <laughs> but um you know it, it is what it is and and you know what they were granted another gift they, they don't get to play their semi uh semifinal cup match until the 16th and miami fc would have had to have played it on today had we you know had we advanced because we have a midweek game next week so it just seems like the gifts keep coming for Cincinnati, and it's frustrating. Uh, you know, I asked a couple questions of Miami FC Brass. I was like, yo, what were the dates that you offered them? You know, did you offer them on the 22nd or, you know, any window after the Deltas game and before the Cosmos game? And they said, no, August 2nd was the only date ever discussed, this and that and the other, which I'm sure if there was another date discussed, they weren't going to really you know, give that information to me, but it's frustrating. It's frustrating as a fan perspective because you kind of let them get away with it uh, in in my sense. And you could have just told them, Hey, we're playing this game the 22nd. You need to reschedule your fixture. It's not our fault that it rained out. And uh, if you can't make it, okay, then, you know, submit a forfeit over to us soccer. (laughs) Yeah, that would, that would have played. We would have, okay. That would have been obviously great for us if we actually lost the game. And so having a forfeit would have been preferable, but man, would we have been become the absolute heels of American soccer? I mean, we're, if we're we on the road put, to that anyway. So I mean, but we'll get yes, to that which later. we'll uh, we'll address it a little yeah, bit. So. Um, but um, but man, it for for as much as you've kind of addressed how this could turn on my the the topic that we'll talk about in a little bit could turn on Miami FC. If we had strong arm Cincinnati into a forfeit, are you kidding me? We it would have been persona non grata. Because Cincinnati is the freaking uh, love child of everyone. No one <laughs> but, hates But Cincinnati. this is the thing, though, Matt. Like, what frustrates me is that, okay, so you have the Deltas game. Obviously, it was the spring season final game, and, you know, you could have played the game on the 18th that week after. Okay, clearly that was not good enough. No problem. No big deal. You could have offered the 22nd, the Saturday in between. Well, they had a USL fixture. Then they scheduled the fixture against Valencia, obviously months in advance, on the 24th of Monday. So that goes ahead and rules out that week of play. So it's like, look. It was a friendly. What irks me about the whole situation is I look at the 11, I look at the guys they deployed against Valencia in a game they lost 2-0, and say, well, if you didn't play any of your starters or any of the guys that you know would routinely get minutes on your team, you could have split the squad. You could have sent up guys from your academy to play against Valencia, and then you could have brought the same team down to Miami and played this game you know, on the, what, the 24th, essentially? 25th, even? Give you guys an extra rest yeah. day? Like, that should have been the way it went down. For some reason... They went down after the Cosmos games. It would have forced the Miami FC guys to, you know, train during their offseason, which is something that we'll get into in, in a little bit, I'm sure, as well, and, you know, kind of go from there. So it's frustrating. It's more of a sense of frustration than anger at this point. But it is what it is. That's the end of the cup run for us. Uh, you know, to get to the quarterfinals is an accomplishment. Um, and we'll get into something else uh, in a little bit also that I think needs a, kind of like a, a revampment of the Open Cup. Interesting. Okay, good. I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, I, I do feel you. You just wonder what if, and I feel like what's so unfortunate is this should not have been. This should not be the end of the road for this. Le- feeling what if at the end of this is crazy because we beat two MLS teams. 
we were the, the most impressive team in the tournament, and I know FC Cincinnati are in the semifinals, but they didn't win in impressive manners. You know, they, they, I, I, I take that back. They were really impressive too, especially with the home crowd against Chicago. But I mean, I don't know. I was, I felt like we did such a hell of a job, and that team going into that Cincinnati game, they, I would have put them up against an MLS team, another one. You know what I mean? For how well they were playing and how fluid they were, they were just coming off a, a you know, a dismantle, uh, yeah, dismantling of, of of San Francisco to win the spring season, yep. the number two team in the league. Yep. They were just world beaters, and that team that went out there against Cincinnati was not that same team. Nope. They looked, and for as much as Cincinnati had the high press and were playing in a style like as you have mentioned before, that teams are now deploying against Miami FC to try to throw sand in the in the gears. Um, I they I just there's no way they would have lost that game on the uh, on the July date. There's no way, and and if they had played that same week, there's no way. But that layoff really really hurt, and it's really unfortunate. I mean, unfortunately, there's nothing we can really do back do at this point now, but go back and kind of reminisce on on what a great cup run it was. Since we're gonna stay on topic here, um. We are going to go and give you some sound of Michael Hood here in just a bit, uh, the press conference after the game. Granted, I know we're about a week removed of that game, but we haven't had a chance to pot since then, so we figure, what better time than now to give you that information? But one thing, Matt, um, amidst all of the pro-row discussion that we are having in this country now, again, led by MEFC, if you haven't seen the article we uh, put out, about some of the viewpoints, uh, or my viewpoints, on the Miami FC promotion relegation, I guess, you know, they are now the de facto leaders, for lack of better words. Um, if we have a cup tournament, right, and we have a cup tournament where all of the leagues are closed and all of the divisions are closed, why doesn't every league and every division come into the play at the exact same time? And the reason I say that is because, obviously, in England and you know in Europe and all other parts of the world where there is a, a tiered system where promotional relegation does exist, these cup matches are obviously put into play where the teams at the Premier League, the teams at the highest flight, will come in later because they've kind of earned that right. You would agree, I would think. In this case, yeah, there is no earning the right of being that first division team. So I don't know why we're, we're in a situation where MLS and open play are not coming into the league, I'm sorry, into the cup tournament at the exact same time. And I think it's something that the U.S. Soccer Federation should address because if we're going to continue with closed systems, we should have this situation go right away because we should allow, you know, APSL teams and MPSL teams to get a chance to play MLS teams in that first round. And I think that's something that if we're going to really logistically consider the U.S. Open Cup to be a qualifier for the CONCACAF Champions League, Every team needs to be in there from the get-go because there is no set-up structure or promotional relegation. And on top of that, every team should have to run the gauntlet through an equal amount of games. Um, I mean, we know why it doesn't work that way. Uh, because the U.S. Soccer Federation, and again, I, I guess I, I don't have to like preface this anymore because we are now the pro-realm people, kind of. Um, but like, I'm a pro-realm person, but I'm not like, you know, a, a, a wild evangelist about it. But the U.S. Soccer Federation protects the MLS. I don't think that's anything controversial. I don't think that's anything where you're, oh, I'm taking a shot. No, it's very clearly that the U.S. Soccer Federation since 1994 has had one goal, and it's to protect and promote the top flight league in the United States 
at all by all means necessary even if it means bending or breaking the rules of the game uh the rules set uh by fifa um and so it's designed to be a tournament where yes the lower teams get to play and have their show and then at the end the mls sweeps in and 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 one of the mls teams plays for it um i i think that's why it shouldn't be the case but i mean that's i think that's pretty obviously why and i again that's one of those things where at some point at some point in the near future and obviously you know uh sean flynn and and ricardo silva think that's in the very near future and some people will think it's farther away but at some point there's going to be an opening of the system it's not going to remain the way it has because nothing remains the way it has but that is definitely i would imagine one point of contention where teams are going to want to start saying okay well if you're, you're letting the mls in just because they paid more money that's it. That's the only reason why those MLS teams are coming in at a later position, just because they played more money. Well, they paid more money. That's the thing, though, right? Because it, it's, in the sense of itself, it's a hypocrisy built within the system, almost, when you kind of take a step back and look look at it. Because I never really even considered this position until maybe about a week and a half ago, once I started hearing about the rumors of, you know, Miami FC making a push for pro rel, etc. Because I, you know, listen, yes, everybody wants promotion relegation, but I'm not going to get... You know, like you said, I'm not going to be an evangelist for it. I'm not going to be out there on the front lines campaigning for it. It's, it's If it happens, fantastic. If it doesn't happen, okay. You know, I know where my mm-hmm. team is. Not a big deal to me at the end of the day. I would love to see it. But if I want to see Pro Row, you know what? I'll turn on TV and watch, arguably, you know, a, a much better version of Pro Row anyway. So I, I think kind of the notion that I have and, and what irks me is just the fact that the built-in hypocrisy of the system where we're not going to have the opportunity for teams to ascend divisions. However, we're going to make you run the gambit even harder as if there was that opportunity. So I think we need to see some restructuring. I think I would like to see um, if Kingston and Miami FC are going to be the de facto leaders of the situation. I would like to see them challenge U.S. Soccer Federation directly about this situation as well and say, well, if this is the way we're going to do it, you know what? Everybody come in at the same time then. Much like the EFL Cup or the Carabao Cup now, where essentially League Two, League One, and the championship teams are all coming in at the exact same time. And, you know, okay, the Premier League comes in tiered a little bit later. So I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, how this does play out and whether this becomes a factor down the road. Um, But yeah, so anyway, not withholding any longer, uh, let's give it away to uh, Mike LaHood. And I will take a drink. Go for it. <laughs> Mike, tough loss tonight. Your impressions overall, especially Miami still looking flat at times when they were passing the ball and not being able to penetrate Cincinnati's defense. Your thoughts overall about the game tonight? Um, yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. First half, we were very flat. Uh, we didn't play well at all. Um, second half, I thought we were much better. Uh, we really had them pinned in. And... They literally took one shot and scored. Uh, you can call it what, it what you want, but that's the Open Cup in a nutshell. Um, nine times out of ten, you walk out of that game winners, but this is the Open Cup, and um, a lot of teams, on any given night, anything had happened, and something happened that didn't go our way tonight. Mike? team really didn't get any clean swipes on Hildebrandt throughout the evening. That's uncharacteristic of the way that Miami has played throughout the course of the season. 
44 goals up until this point, 45 including New York, but 11 in this tournament, and really didn't challenge Hildebrand at all. What do you think the reason was for that? Did you see the bus they parked in front of uh, the oh, goal? I saw it. It was Greyhound. It was. <laughs> uh, it had white, white yeah. jerseys and uh, orange stripes. I mean, credit to them. Uh, they defended for their lives. Uh, they played the game of their lives. Uh, you know, first half, you know, they actually had the better of the game. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm never saying, you know, I'm an honest guy. Uh, they were effective in what they did. And second half, I felt like we were just being too cute. Um, you know, we were doing some uncharacteristic things. And, you know, it's very difficult to experience this type of setback, this type of disappointment. Um, I think up until this point, a lot of those bounces, you know, I'm having flashbacks to one where Pino laid off to me, and I, you're trying to get your feet set. You know, I know Enzo had a couple. I mean, the one at the very end, um, Poku almost walks that ball in, and it's all gone our way up until this evening, and you know, it's just a very difficult pill to swallow. Um, and, you know, for me, this is this is where you build character. This is where you learn a lot about yourself and take nothing away from my guys and my teammates. I mean, we've had one hell of a cup run, um, but we're very disappointed, you know, to have it fall short, uh, especially in this fashion. Do you see any similarities recently in the way teams are defending you? Granted, today Cincinnati did park the bus, especially after getting that goal, but during the run of play, Seems like the Cosmos defended you guys kind of similarly. Would you say the same or no? Yeah. Um, a lot of teams are trying to make it a, a game about second balls, very direct, um, trying to play in the channels, and we have to adapt. Um, you know, the same character it takes to, to win a spring championship is different than the character it takes to defend, you know, this season's championship and uh, to make the ultimate Open Cup run. Um, and this is a massive learning curve for all of us. You know, this is something that um, it's very disappointing. You know, uh, you can see it on how crestfallen everyone was when the final whistle blew. But you know, it's still a long season. You know, we have nothing to be uh, to hold our heads down about. Um, yes, the result and our cup run falling short. You know, I know everyone um, except the people with Cincinnati scarves in this room. Um, is equally as disappointed as we are. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of speechless at the moment. But, um, you know, I think we're a very good team, and you know, we still have a lot to play for. Please, Mike, last there was 10,415 people at this game tonight. This has been a magical run through a magical season. It's not done yet. Spring champions, quarterfinalists. Record crowd tonight. Soccer works in Miami, doesn't it? You know what? Uh, <laughs> I'd have to agree with that. Um, like I said at the start of the season, like I said when I first got here, something's happening here in the city of Miami, um, and it looks like us. And in a fairy tale world, we make it to the Open Cup final. We win the whole thing. I buy everyone in this room bottles of champagne. Uh, we go to space or whatever nightclub you guys want. Um, but the fairy tale is not over, and the story is still being written on soccer here. And, you know, 
now it's it's about league play and and realizing our dreams in the league um, and really you know rewarding ourselves rewarding the crowd that came out tonight I, I hope this is the start and the continuation of something special um, I think the crowd tonight is a culmination of a lot of the hard work that's gone on the field and in the front office to, to really uh, let people know that soccer's here in Miami um, like I said I hope this is the start of something really special to come in the city uh, and I can't I give my girl Michelle Kaufman. She raised her hand, so Michelle. <laughs> and I was going to ask. I was just going to ask why. Uh, why do you think your team came out flat, considering everything that was on the line? It's a very good question. Um, wish I had a very good answer. <laughs> Sometimes it's, you know, that's just how the game falls. Um, you know, it's a very difficult moment right now. Uh, you know, coming off back-to-back losses for the first time this year and it's very unusual for us to, to start game start start a game like that um, but like I said before uh, we have to get back to who we are and that's going to look very different um, this fall you know it doesn't mean that um, getting back to who we are isn't about winning it very much is about winning um, but it's in these moments that you have to find you know you have to really dig deep and remember who you are and uh, remember the things that brought success and this is gut check time you know uh, we can feel sorry for ourselves uh, and we have a manager that won't let us feel sorry for ourselves uh, that's a really good thing uh, about playing for Alessandro Nesta and you know the story is not done yet you know this is disappointing yes but um, <coughs> we're professionals and we engage this as men we don't walk around with our heads down. Um, as difficult as this is to swallow, um, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about with the run we had. We had one hell of a run. We've made one hell of a statement about what this team is about and what this team's capable of. And hopefully, this is just a taste of things to come. Um, not just this year, but you know, in the story of Miami FC as an organization, that's how I see it. Um, so, in a nutshell, yes, we're disappointed. Um, but our work's not done yet, and I hope. You know, at the end of this year, uh, we're sitting here, and I hope I'm drenched with champagne, celebrating you know, uh, another incredible story you know, called the Soccer Bowl. So. All right, so those were Mike's thoughts on the Cincinnati game. As you can tell at the time, you know, not in the happiest of moods, not in the cheeriest of moods. There are a lot of melancholy, a lot of, you know, kind of, we should have had it and we didn't kind of thing but it is what it is that's what you that's what you get in a single uh, elimination tournament all right moving on now to last saturday's game on the fifth miami fc lined up uh against north carolina fc a new look miami fc with four changes to their starting 11 notably mason trafford quadwo poku uh vincenzo ranella all did not play in this match. Oh, Quattro Poku subbed in, but uh, all did not start this match, I guess I should say. And Hunter Freeman uh, was suspended on red card that he received uh, in the New York Cosmos game. So, Matt, four changes to starting 11, a 3-2 loss, kind of a spectacular 3-2 loss, if one could say that. <laughs> what are your takeaways from uh, last Saturday night? So I, I actually want to ask you first okay. um, because you would know more than I would. I, I want to I want to double check, um, and it goes to show we do pr- precious little show prep beforehand because I could have just asked you before we started. Are you online? Um, yes. All right, let's go. Yes, let's do it. Um, 
that's the most drastic change the team has had all season, save for the the South Florida surf, maybe. Oh yeah, I think in, even including in terms of, I think even including the South Florida surf because I think what happens is back when we go back to that time, I think we were seeing Jaime Chavez get featured more, and Pino wasn't right yet. So you would see yes. kind of the swap at the front, and then you would also see you know a couple swaps in the midfield here and there. Resende was coming in a lot more than some of the other guys. And, you know, we had kind of a right-back injury rotation system going on. But this was the most, it may not have been numbers, but I think this is the most changes from one eleven to the other that we've seen uh, in franchise history. So, um, what we came to learn after the fact, at least when we talk about um, uh, Mason Trafford, that we know that there is a bit of an injury situation there, and, and they're trying to get him right. And, and I understand that considering we're basically in a a fall season that you would describe as a luxury, really, at this point. You want to remain on top of the combined standings, but worst-case scenario, you're hosting a semifinal match looking at the soccer. Bingo. So I understand the idea of, like, all right, let's play around a little bit. What I don't understand, and again, before we even talk about the actual functioning of the game, is, now, again, rest versus rust is another conversation to have as well, and so I, I, I... I'm not. I'm really not trying to play like second guesser and, and, and questioning everything. But maybe you had would have wanted to do that before the Cincinnati game to to make sure guys are rested appropriately or or, or whatever the case may be. It, it it's it was very confusing from from my end, and I, I'll I'll let you address that in a second because you might have a different opinion than I do on that. Um, but from the end on on Saturday, it was awfully confusing when that starting eleven was read out because I actually didn't I didn't look at it online. Um, I just heard it announced, and you're like, "Wait, what? Who? Well, who's playing? What's happening?" Um, yeah, and it was. It showed that this was an eleven that hadn't played together too much. Um, it was clunky as hell. It was just super clunky, kind of the whole time. And and it was said, and it was true. It looked, and it, and I'm not playing the result here, but it really looked, especially offensively, in terms of the attack. It looked like last year's spring season. Yeah, it was fairly reminiscent uh, to that time. I think one thing of note is that Miami FC hasn't played North Carolina well at all this year, whether at home or whether on the road. They haven't played them Agreed. very well. Um, and this is a match, you know, this is, a, uh, I guess, a, a matchup historically that has only had, prior to this game, one win for either side and four draws. Notably, predicted a 2-2 draw uh, in the article. Almost hit it on the head, almost. So um, I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. But it took some work <laughs> to even get there. Um, I think what happens is this. After the Cincinnati game, you knew now that, realistically speaking, the fall season's kind of be lackluster. We're not really going to have... A lot of drama, a lot of intensity, a lot of incitement unless we go ahead and run up, you know, another 9, 10, 11 game winning streak uh, because there is no, I don't know, there is no, to me, it seems flat. There's no carbonation in this soda. It's flat. Uh, You know, there there is no fizz in the drink. I know what I'm going to get week in and week out, I would think. And the the only, you know, I, I will never be surprised in a good way, I think throughout the fall season, I think I'm just going to be surprised in a bad way if I'm surprised at all. Because if Miami FC goes out, and dom- goes out and dominates, they've set the precedent for themselves that this is a team that can play at that level. If Miami FC comes out and underperforms, it'll be very much like, well, wasn't expecting that one. This is, you know, okay. You know, what are you going to do? I'll go on to the next game. So, for the most part, this, you know, fall season might be 
you know, not as exciting unless we get some, you know, close finishes at the end and things of that nature or some blowouts. Which we did get in that game. Yes, which we did get in that game. Um, Just not in the direction you wanted. Yeah, so I think after the cup run, I think, uh, you know, you, I had a feeling that Ranella wouldn't play. Uh, I had a feeling that they might give Poku some rest. And, and, you know, obviously I wasn't aware of the Trafford situation, but, you know, everybody knew coming in that Freeman was not going to play in that game. Um, notably, you have to give some of these guys on the bench some minutes, but we talked at length for episode after episode about how the depth of Miami FC is strong, and we were proved wrong. Miami FC's depth yep. is not as strong as we would have liked to have, you know, hoped it would have been, and, and it's being proven, you know, the more and more some of these guys take the field. You know, Ariel Martinez is, is almost the poster child of why you don't give him 90 minutes and you make him a super mm -hmm. sub. He's a change of pace player. He can get on the field and, you know, wreak havoc for 30 minutes, especially with other guys having tired legs. But having him go from the whistle is, you know, maybe not the best interest, not only for him, but, but only for, also for the team. Um, the game started off kind of slow. Teams were, you know, kind of trading chances back and forth. Uh, Miami FC wasn't really getting anything too threatening early on. Uh, and what did it end up happening? Jonathan Glenn in the 27th minute gets a very nice cross. Is a basically a dink and dunk uh, from Stephen Miller. And North Carolina goes up 1-0. That's the only score we're going to have through halftime. Miami FC had a couple chances to equalize early on. Nothing really doing. On the 70th minute, we have another Stephen Miller assist. Your man of the match, uh, Stephen Miller, gives Kanzadora a... Uh, a very nice feed, and he's able to put it away, um, you know, basically on the brigade end side. And North yeah. Carolina FC goes up 2-0. Um, so kind of the 2-2 there is looking a little uh, in flux, and I'm kind of thinking, well, you know what, 2-2 is nice to put out there. What I thought it was the draw. I wasn't expecting, you know, that 2-0 defeat. Well, there's a penalty in the box in the 89th minute. Okay, here we go. Kind of, you know, the refereeing, the officiating wasn't the best. There was a lot of missed calls, it looked like, on, on, from the press box at least. You know, a lot of ticky-tacky <laughs> fouls coming in that weren't called. Miami FC surely could have won at least one other penalty in this game, and it was waved off. Uh, Michelle comes in, takes a cheeky penalty, takes the longest run for the slowest penalty shot I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> scores the goal, brings Miami back within one. Stefano Pino gets an assist from... Calvin Resende is able to beat Silvestri near post uh, in the beer garden side and basically uh, ties the game at 2-2. And then Matt, <sighs> Poku commits a foul. It seems to be the story of the situation. Poku is committing late fouls. And then what happens? Uh, even though it was a foul, I would still uh, describe it as kickoff shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> you, you, you don't focus you're not dialed in you think you've done enough to salvage a draw and yeah free kick is just sent into the box it's as easy as you like it, it was it was you could see it again from from the brigade end we it was right in our face um it was just the simplest little free kick and the simplest little finish you could ever hope to have and there was nothing to be done by by uh indio vega it was just in the back of the the old onion bag and that was it that was it and it was just Demoralizing. It was demoralizing. It was so, so just gutting yeah. because you had really felt like you stole a point and, and and stole stole it. We did not deserve. We deserved a three two loss. Miami FC deserved a three two loss. They played poorly for eighty minutes. They deserved to be trailing two nil. They they dig out of this hole. They salvage a point somehow. Um, you know, with a penalty. It was a fair penalty. It wasn't. It wasn't a. You know a 
a gift at all, but it was a penalty. And, and then this this finish right at the end, you think, and then just punch right in the nose, just right in your face. And and North Carolina walks off with all three. Yep. Basically, the way it went down, Poku gives up the free kick. Uh, Shipolani takes the free kick, and somehow Ibiga gets on. Just goes clearly for a run, completely unmarked. Shipolani sees it completely unmarked, and as Matt said, calmly, coolly, collectively puts it in the back of the net. Game ends three to two with North Carolina FC taking all three points at the end uh, from Miami. All right, so we've opened up the fall campaign, including one open cup match. Miami FC has now collected zero points, zero. Bottom of the table, all alone. A goose egg, a donut, a bagel, however <laughs> you want to describe it. Bottom of the table, all alone. Oh boy, this is a a, a stark reversement uh, from what we had just three weeks ago. I'm having flashbacks. I'm having 2016 flashbacks. Still on top of the combined table, which is good, as we had talked about before. Uh, they have they have cushion. They they have some 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 room to still give up. They they're on top of the deltas by six points, and leading goal differential thanks to that blowout of the deltas, 19 to negative two. Um, and Cosmos third with 27 points in the combined. They have positive two goal differential. And North Carolina now on zero goal differential. So Miami FC are still in the position you'd want to be in. They already have their playoff spot locked up. They're in the lead of the combined table. They have a, basically a goal differential that if they somehow lose goal differential, we have much bigger problems to talk about than just them. Oh, we lost the tiebreaker and goal differential. We have much bigger problems to talk about. So they're still in a fine spot, but you you begin to wonder, you know, is the magic worn off? Is is you know is it midnight and has Cinderella's you know uh, slippers turned back to you know regular shoes and has the the chariot turned back into a pumpkin? Are you trying to get um, a suit? Yeah, is that enough for uh, <laughs> a violation of uh, violation of uh, copyright? Mike Eisner, um, <laughs> Eisner. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah, only Miami people um, get that reference, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's a it's a Miami soccer podcast. If you don't get it, listen to some Levitar show. Get yourself right. Um, yeah, so it's it's this weird kind of melancholy that I feel like has kind of set in where it's really it'd be really shitty to complain because the team really is in such a good spot. They made the quarterfinals of the Open Cup, which is if you had told anyone in the Day Brigade three months ago that's where you were gonna get out of the competition, you would have took it in a heartbeat. Yes. You're leading the combined table. You won the spring season. You're checking off all the boxes you could possibly want to check off. Yes, sir. But if you had talked to someone in the Day Brigade two weeks ago about what you have in mind for the next month, this is not it. No. By any stretch of the imagination. Not even close. This is not it. So it's kind of a weird space to be in. It, yeah, it's a weird mental vibe, and I think that's something that the players are currently dealing with. They're having kind of just like that I don't want to say the drop in mentality because that's not the right way to put it, but the drop in intensity is apparent. They, this is no longer, you know, a must-win situation, and I think Nesta had his guys playing that higher level of football, you know, of must-win all the time. Every game is important, and I think now it's it's easy for complacency to set in, and, and I think that's what we've seen in the last three games. Uh, before we get to talking about Indy, Matt ran down the table with you uh, in the last week of NASL play. Puerto Rico beat the Armada 1-0. Edmonton beat Indy 11-3-1. 
Uh, obviously, Carolina took care of Miami 3-2. Uh, and the Deltas were able to sneak one past the Cosmos 2-1, uh, to one, uh, ending that game and keeping the Deltas in second place in the combined table. Um, looking ahead now into the Indy 11, uh, the game is going to be played on Saturday. This Saturday, August 12th, in case you're not listening uh, for some reason later on in life. Uh, <laughs> the game is going to be a 7.30 kickoff. It will take place at Ricardo Silva Stadium. Make sure that you join the team for Mexican Heritage Night. Yay! Alright, first 2,500 people in the crowd will get a Miami FC cap. It is sponsored by somebody. Who that sponsor is at the moment, <laughs> I do not recall. So it's courtesy of the CW South Florida. Hey, attaboy, CW. Good job putting that in. The first 350. Shout out Dave Azer. Dave Azer. <laughs> uh, in addition, the first 350 people into the stadium will not only get a cap, they will also get mini Mexican flags. Fun. So uh, it should be fun. Again, as you always know, $15 gets you in, $10 for kids if you want to send the beer garden, $30 to get your ticket with two free craft beers, uh, basically Miami's best brewery, uh, Concrete Beach. Some people might argue that, but there we are, pretty, pretty solid. Um, so make sure that you get your tickets before they do sell out. Uh, Miami might write the ship. Uh, I think they're going to write the ship on Saturday. A preview will be dropping shortly uh, for that match. Matt, what do you think about this matchup against the Indy 11? Um, I, I do want to say first, if you go to the beer garden, uh, say hi to Christopher. He's one of the bartenders there, and he uh, he served us at uh, PSU Juventus. Hello, Chris. And, uh Yes, and a very good guy, and I told him if I wasn't in the brigade and for literally every game, I'd be happy to pop over and say hello to him. But say hello to him. Um, so I I know where Indy 11 is on the table. Uh, I know that I feel like I've had this every time Indy 11 comes up. I have this conversation where I, I'm not happy about them. I don't want to play them. Um, and, yeah, I'm not happy about them, and I don't want to play them, uh, even though – Again, I would I would say it has as much to do with us as it does with them at this point. Um, being at home, I feel like that will help, um, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm I would not say I'm confident. I would not say I'm confident going into this game. Um, I think Miami FC on paper should win, unquote without a doubt. Uh, in practice, that's why they don't play the games on paper they you know, they play it in real life and and i uh yeah i don't know i'm i'm a little shook i'm not all the way shook i'm not scared but i'm a teeny tiny bit shook man they just lost edmonton 3-1 last weekend yeah i just told you they lost edmonton 3-1 were you not listening Stu? yet <laughs> how dare you <laughs> um no i know yeah i they're not they're not doing fantastically this year they are slightly below average um i don't it has nothing to do with them really it's to do with us what's the mentality where's our focus are we putting forth our best possible 11 all those i I would normally just say ah to hell with it we're gonna win and you know put out you know 11 guys out of the stands and we'll still win because of how well we played in the spring um but yeah I'm, i'm a little bit shook of how poorly it's not just that we've lost because you can win, you can lose a game and have played really well. We have put forth three stinkers, three bad games. I would say the best of the bunch was New York. Uh, you know, I possibly, maybe, yeah. I don't even know. But man, we looked like crap against Cincinnati, and we looked like crap for eighty minutes of of the last game. Um, 
against North Carolina. So I don't know. Again, I wish I was. I'm not confident normally. So it, it, take that with a grain of salt. But I'm 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 not projecting confidence. I think we can win. Well, absolutely. I'll tell you. I don't know it. I'll tell you this. Um, I think we should win that game. I think that game will go down much like in Miami FC fashion. I think we'll win that game. Probably two one maybe arguably 3-1. Um, and I think what's going to happen is I think we're going to see Ruthven uh, in the back with Bernstein, and I think we're going to see Ruthven kind of gel with him a little bit better. Wasn't really a problem in the last game. Um, you know, so we'll make sure that, I'm sure he'll make sure to, you know, kind of, you know, get a little bit of better chemistry there. I think Hunter Freeman coming back will be big. Um, and, and we'll see kind of what happens in the midfield. Uh, this season so far has been kind of the disappearance of the midfield where Richie Ryan's passing is not as effective. Dylan Mayers, you know, he hasn't unlocked any answers. He's been a game changer and a cog to that midfield and a guy that Miami FC can rely on in these last three games. Hasn't done anything really notable, uh, you know, that, that you can go back and be like, oh, yeah, I remember when he did this. Um, I think we'll see Ranella uh, and Pino back up top with uh, with Poku. So I think Miami FC knows that this is game is not a must win per se because of, you know, the cushion they have in the combine everything else. But you, you can't have three games in league play and come out with zero points like this. We're not Sunderland. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're not some of the teams, you know, around the world that that, that are notably you know, have horrendous starts, things like that. So, you know, I don't know why I'm looking for a second name. And the only name that comes to me is oh, Sunderland. I guess I could probably throw uh, the uh, the Blackburn Rovers in there from last year as well. Uh, so it's kind of one of those situations where Miami really, really needs to kind of hunker down, understand that anything short of a win this game does not help. Why? The next three matches are all on the road. You kind of have to re-gear and play North Carolina FC the following Tuesday, we're not going to pot before that. We're not even going to preview that. We need to worry about the game in hand right now. Uh, so North Carolina FC will be on the following Tuesday before they take a trip to Jacksonville. So you know they'll stay in state and just probably take a short bus ride up. Uh, and then they'll have to get on their flights and uh, get out to Puerto Rico, sunny San Juan, and uh, you know try to take three points from Puerto Rico. Which, you see, the games and the schedule seems to, you know it's easy for us to sit here and say everything here is easier, right? New York Cosmos always give everybody problems. North Carolina hasn't been the easiest team to deal with, but in the 11, shouldn't be an issue. Uh, North Carolina FC, okay, that's a team that causes you problems, but listen, you were able to, you know, take care of the Armada twice in the spring season. You should be able to take care of them theoretically again, uh, you know, in a couple weeks here, or really in eight days. And uh, Puerto Rico, you know, Puerto Rico hasn't been the toughest opponent. But if you look at the table right now, every team in the league has points with the exception of one. And that one is Miami. So Miami needs to get on the scoreboard as soon as possible. And I think we'll see a return to normal and some half-off Papa John's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, I, 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 think, I think we're going to get back in the right direction. And like you said, I think the team knows that you know, you you don't want this to become a recurring theme, a persistent belief. You want to nip this in the bud and say, yeah, okay, we had a losing stretch. Every team does, but, you know, we're not crazy. We're not going to lose four or five or six in a row. So, yeah, hopefully it's hopefully it's good returns. Yep. Um, so, um, do you want to dive into the ProRail sitch? Well, I mean, <clears throat> looking at the ProRail situation... For those of you that uh, didn't have a chance to join uh, Bruce Silverman, the voice of Miami FC, and Sean Flynn, the CEO of Miami FC, they had a Facebook Live conversation. They took some questions from the public, some questions sent in previously before the live airing and during the live airing. 
and a lot of it were questions about promotional relegation, how it would be established, you know, what is going on with, you know, uh, some of the teams saying that they're very much in support of Miami FC's efforts, but they're not necessarily, you know, the first to join the lawsuit. I think it's really important to remember that the Kingston Stockade owner, Dennis Crowley, do I have that right, Dennis Crowley? Yes, Dennis Crowley. Sorry so, yes, if I mispronounced yeah. the name there. Uh, but And Ricardo Silva, listen, man, they're the ones with the bank accounts big enough to fund this venture um, and this lawsuit. So clearly they want to spearhead the project and more power to them. Um, and a lot of teams are supporting. And, you know, that was notably one of the questions that my CCO was happy to see. He was happy to see a lot of teams were very much in support. Um, another thing that they discussed was, you know, Miami FC sponsorships and would there be a kit sponsor on the shirt? And, you know, again, kind of sidestepped the question very well, uh, saying, you know, kit sponsorships are important because of the revenue stream that they bring in and this and that. But he never really discussed whether or not Miami FC uh, is in the process of acquiring a kit sponsor. Um, and the big one that, that I really, really wanted uh, to, to kind of get some clarity on is that apparently, you know, a lot of people have this mindset of, and we talked about this in the last show, where, how can this, how can a team that plays in a high school stadium or a team that plays, you know, in let's say an 8,000 seat plex, one that comes to mind is the team out of Phoenix, right? Phoenix Rising. Um, yeah. How can they, you know, make the jump? Let's say two years in a row they make the jump and now they're in MLS. Um, how can they have MLS games in an 8,000 seat stadium? And I think the problem that you need to remember is that it's not about the stadium. I think in this country we've been very trained to think that, well, if you're first division, you have to have this stadium you need to have x amount of people in the seats and the truth of the matter is you, you don't you don't have and to in, have in that fairness the person most responsible for that training is don garber right uh with his soccer specific stadium uh you know religion that he carries around with him unless of course you're nycfc and then in which case as long as the team gets created don doesn't care you may continue. Yeah. So <laughs> now that I've got my Don Garber rant off. <laughs> so I think it's one of those things that a lot of people need to kind of recalibrate in their heads, right? And the recalibration needs to be that, remember, just because a team doesn't have a stadium or a team doesn't have a soccer-specific stadium or, you know, a team stadium doesn't hold fifteen to eighteen to 25,000 people, doesn't mean that team doesn't deserve to be on that playing field against those opponents. If they've earned a right to earn it, to get there, to be in that position... It shouldn't matter where they play. Um, you know, we talked about Burden Albion in the championship. Listen, the championship is one of the best leagues in soccer or in football. And the reason why is that every season you have eight or nine teams that can compete for three promotion spots. And you have five, usually four to five teams that are going to be sitting in towards that bottom three and might get relegated to League One. And you know, there's only 7,000 people in that stadium. You know, it doesn't really hold that much. Yes, they're making expansions, and yes, they've moved from one stadium to the other, but these are things that can get done over time. If the team solidifies its place in a certain division and is challenging for promotion consistently, that shouldn't be the end of the conversation. Yeah, I think, and to, to really tackle this, again, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I support ProRail. I support a pyramid structure. I support us being like basically the rest of the world. Um, I believe it's us, India, and Australia, right? Those are the three countries that lack like an open pyramid system. Uh, correct. Were, yeah, the, of like major countries. I, I'm sure that Bhutan might not have. <laughs> I mean, might not have. And I understand the Australia, right? Like, think about it. Imagine having to 
play your games either on one side of a continent or on the other. Like, it, what, right. what's the, fl- the I think the flight time from one side of Australia to the other is, is what, five, six hours? Like, imagine you have to consistently fly back and forth every other week. Like, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. And you don't have, like, major, major, major centers of population. You know, you have a, a whole continent that basically has the population of, say, New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. Right. Max. You know, and I'm being generous. So, yeah, that that structurally that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, it, it – the I understand wholeheartedly why this system is the way it is. I, I want this new system to come in and replace it. But when people are like, oh, MLS, U.S. Soccer Federation is corrupt and they're trying to hold down – no, I don't think that's what the situation is necessarily. If you open your history books and look back 25 years, there was no first division American soccer because the old system had been the Wild West shootout of do whatever you want and the NASL exploded insanely, the original NASL, and then collapsed in on itself. And so there was this kind of fear of doing it right. And so... It was, we're going to protect this, we're going to insulate it, we're going to make sure it doesn't fail, because if we hold the freaking World Cup and it still fails, it's, you're, you, you salted the earth for a generation. Like, you, this is your shot. 94 was your shot to make this work, and so we're going to do it in our best way to make it work. And it worked. It worked. A huge victory for American soccer. And you can, if you want to look at the current, like, why is soccer winning in America? And people are like, oh, well, Barcelona and Real Madrid and people like Messi and people like Cristiano Ronaldo. That's all well and good. There were stars just as big as those two guys playing European soccer for Barcelona and Real Madrid in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, but it's, they were the Galacticos. It's, they the were glo- the, eh. it's the globalization of the game, though, right? We've never had a chance. Like, prior to this season, at NBC absolutely destroying the Premier League coverage. Yes, uh, oh my God. <laughs> You know, you've never had that before. You've never had a chance to watch every Premier League game. With being sport- and I'd, I'm not saying that that's uh, that's a huge, huge, huge part of it. You know, if you don't have to buy Fox Soccer Plus Bingo. to to watch it like you used to have to in the old days, like you know when you would go to a bar at seven in the morning because they had the you know the European satellite package and you could watch it. I'm not I'm I'm not saying that it was only you know the 94 world cup but i do believe that that's the 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 big bang if you will right and then as as it as it in america in america specifically and as it grows you know you start getting other gravitational effects and other energy forces and other things are coming in and you know all of a sudden the, the galaxy is expanding even bigger than it was before you're accelerating not decelerating we're in that acceleration phase now um but you know MLS was, for the U.S. Soccer Federation, the reason why you hosted the World Cup is attention on the sport, automatic bid, help build the national program, which you saw with the qualification in 90, leading into 94, and then actually get the domestic product up to some kind of quality. You know, oh, MLS isn't quality, it's it's a retirement league. Fine. Look at the quality of American domestic soccer in 1993 (laughs) and say, you know what I mean? Like, okay. We all have fun and games, and we're not Europe, but it's infinitely better than what it was. And so I understand. I really do. And this is where I think the difference with me, and again, I pick on Ted, but the Ted Westervelts of the world, um, I get why we have the system we have. And call me an incrementalist. Call me, you know, 
you know, settling for, you know, settling for what can be instead of dreaming of what, settling for what is instead of dreaming of what can be. Accuse me of all that. But I, again, I'm not defending the system that exists. Going forward, I'm saying I defend why it existed in the past. I see why it happened. And to look at people and say, oh, well, you know, this system sucks. Why did you let it happen? Well, again, if you understand the context of the history of American soccer, it makes a lot more sense. And the history of American sport. ProRail is something completely foreign to American sports. It doesn't exist in any other major sport. And so you're asking for something that's wholly different. Putting aside the economic factors and all those other things and the, the ownership of the MLS, all those other factors, it's tough. It's tough, and the and this is a legitimate opportunity to now move forward with something different that Miami FC is participating in. If it works, again, it's a bit of a moonshot, but if it works, it is an opportunity. But don't act like it's crazy that this didn't happen before. Well, I'll tell you this: uh, if you haven't read the article that's on Magic City Soccer, Magic City that I penned uh, and I released on Monday, um, I want kind of your opinion on this viewpoint that I have and my viewpoint is that should promotion relegation get all right let's start up let's say FIFA comes back and says yes the United States Soccer Federation is not in compliance there needs to be promotion relegation uh and it 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 has to happen and it needs to be put in place let's say within an x period of time leading into 2026 now FIFA for the most part, has gone away with doing a whole heck of a lot of things. Uh, I think everybody can say that the Qatar bid to host the World Cup has been one that's raised a lot of red flags for multiple different reasons. Some of it political, some of it, you know, ideological, some of it being, you know, the way that they're building, you know, their stadiums, etc. And then every, almost every argument has some merit in it. Now, we know that the United States is one of the main reasons why FIFA had to clean house. And we know that there's still a lot of players at FIFA that somehow survived the chaos of, you know, what last year and set bladders removal and everything that went along with that. If there's still individuals at FIFA that were affected or that look now at the United States and said, you, you put your nose in your bit in business that it didn't belong in. Okay, here's promotion relegation. If you don't implement promotion relegation within a certain period of time, uh, we're going to strip you of your World Cup. How does that look to the American casual soccer fan? The, the, the fan that is an American outlaw, the fan that goes to United States men's national team and women's national team games, and to people that you know may not support club soccer because they don't have a team in their area, so they're just mainly like, oh, is the USA playing? Cool, let me turn on the TV. Um... Yeah, that's not going to go great. Um, <laughs> I mean, because to, it me, would be to me, disastrous. Like it, it, and I want to let you finish. But to me, in that article, you know, I raised the question of: there's going to be blowback if that's the way that this goes down, and there's a very realistic possibility that this is the way that it will go down. Um, you thought the hate on a team that wears Miami on its jersey was bad? The LeBron years? <laughs> oh man, buddy, exponentialize that. Let's raise that to the 10th power and see the amount of windfall that we're going to get uh, or that Miami FC is going to get from the, you know what's going on currently. Now, I would say there is kind of one potential saving grace here, and it's that the people that would really, really care 
about it. Like, really care. Not the casual sports fan who just wants an event every four years, but the people that would really care. And there are plenty of people, and I'm, I'm saying that kind of in a negative tone, there are plenty of people that just check in on the World Cup, and that's fine. You do you. Like, I, that, I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to be like, oh, like, you don't get it, man. Um, we'd love to have you on board for whatever, but I understand that people sometimes just like the spectacle. I watch the Olympics. I don't watch swimming for four years in between. So it's, it's okay. Um, but there is something to be said about, I think a lot of the people that are really into, uh, you know, American outlaws, etc., would be people that would be sympathetic to a pro rel argument. So there is some potential cover, some potential cover there. I'm not saying all potential cover. I'm not saying half potential cover. I'm saying some. Um, what I would say to, to that argument of like, oh, well, what happens if the World Cup gets stripped? What I would say is if FIFA goes to the extent that they would actually do that, it means they cared enough about this issue from the jump that they were going to consider it anyway. And yes, Ricardo Silva is pushing the the envelope here, but I don't, I don't, and and maybe it's a damaging argument to what Silva w- hopes to accomplish, at least in terms of hoping to accomplish it in an easy fashion. Um, if they were going to do it, they would have done it already. Or, if they're going to do it, they've already talked about it. And, and MLS, if they're not on board yet, they're going to get on board with the Soccer Federation. So there are a lot of permutations here. I refuse to believe that this World Cup was awarded to the United would be awarded to the United States in 2026, and then it would be yanked back by FIFA. That with either that they that they care about it, they care about pro rel and the pyramid so much that they would yank the bid back. Either they don't care about it and they're fine and it's not going to happen you know unless there's some sort of actual legal action beyond the scope of FIFA or it's going to happen basically with FIFA's blessing and and I and I would imagine those wheels might be in motion already um but I don't think there's a situation where this is the deciding factor that this oh well you know the I I can't believe that the US Soccer Federation and FIFA would be oh we we got our pants caught down behind, around our ankles we didn't foresee this coming because they have to have foreseen this as a possibility. Yeah, but, I mean, okay. Yes, they could have foreseen this as a possibility, but realistically speaking, that argument was kind of in the corners of the internet. It wasn't an argument that was, you know, impacting mainstream media, impacting, you know, Sirius XM FC Soccer Talk. Like, you turn on these stations and these outlets, and now ProRel is getting more of a conversation than it ever has before, and it is coming essentially on the backs of you know, this lawsuit and everything that entails with it, you know, so I think that's kind of one of the situations that you have to look at. Yes, the FIFA 20, the 2026 FIFA World Cup has not been granted yet, uh, whether or when the actual final decision will be made may not happen for a very, very long time. Um, you know, the U.S. bid has been fast-tracked. Uh, the U.S. joint bid with Mexico and Canada is something that is being looked at by FIFA and is more than likely where FIFA wants to place this World Cup. But, you know, to me, it raises concerns. I'm all for the idea and for what the team is pushing. I understand the point that they're trying to make. All I'm saying is, you know, understand that if this doesn't work out well, there are other factors that will come into play, especially being the fact that there can be an MLS Miami team on the other side, and 
imagine if you're the team that took away the World Cup bid. Again, hypothetically speaking, nine years down the road, but, you know, to play devil's advocate, if you're the team that took away the Miami soccer fan feel good, do you think they're going to come into your games or do you think they're going to go to the games across the street? Uh, yeah, I mean, there is definitely the risk of of this could end very badly. And, and honestly, losing the case and just kind of going home with your tail tucked between your legs probably isn't the worst case. Um, like you said, like you described, what you described is the worst case, where basically you become this pariah of the soccer community. Um, but I, I do think it, it's a small possibility. It's a possibility, but I do think it's a, it's hopefully a small possibility. And I mean, if it works out to be and everyone else hates Miami, well, welcome to the club Miami FC. It means you've arrived as a <laughs> Miami sports team because all the other ones are hated too. Um, but yeah, I just... I think I constantly feel like I'm equivocating about pro role, and I'm really not. But like, I I don't know if this was the best way to do it. I I don't know if this was, you know, it it, it did. But I mean, we talked about it, but you know, a couple days ago. I don't know if it was the best idea to schedule all of this activity around the Cincinnati game. I just have second thoughts and concerns about that. You know, not to say like, oh, if you had waited a week, we would have beaten Cincinnati. But it's just. There is too much going on, and and, and I worry it's, that it's a distraction. I mean, and, and results on the field might indicate that it was. Um, I, I just feel like this is something that you want the big bang from being it being at the Open Cup game, game, and it has generated a lot of upswell and support among people that support ProRail. It has unified that community, which maybe one of its weak, one of the community's weaknesses before is that it really wasn't unified. Um, so there is some good to come out of that, but I, I do I, I have spent a lot of time over the last week wondering why couldn't it have been done before or why couldn't it have been done later or yeah, just you know, when not know. the football's being played before the season after the season just yes. not or just not before like the possibility of you going to the semifinal I don't, US I Open don't know Cup. I don't know if that impacts though like you wouldn't like to think that from a player's mentality and from a team perspective that whatever the branch, whatever the upper echelon of the team and, and, and the brass and the board of directors wants to do is completely apart from the mindset that, you know, the technical director and the manager and the players are going to have going into that game. I personally don't think there is any weird, in the, I don't think that there's a, a correlation between Miami FC's bad play and this, you know, pro-rel venture. I don't think that, that one indicates the other. I think what happens is you know, yes, it, it looks bad from a PR perspective because, hey, you're here arguing about pro row and look, you just lost the USL Cincinnati. Um, yes, but, yes, but I, that... but I don't think it come. I don't think that one has to do with the play on the field. If that makes sense. I here my very quickly. Okay. My concern with it seconds. is <laughs> yes, the end result is it looks like it was a distraction. Even if it wasn't, I'm certainly it wasn't. I'm certain of it. I sound like an idiot if I if I lead you to think the players were all caught up in pro rel, but it was. I want all the whole machinery all pushing in one direction, and certainly for the previous week before that Cincinnati game, the parts of the machinery, unimportant though they may be, were pushing in different directions. Secondly, you kind of look stupid the day after you lose to a quote unquote second division team that USL was the third division last year 
where you're arguing that, you know, even though we know the longer story that we had beaten two MLS teams and we know that the, t- the pyramid should be open, it, it just, it looked bad. And to schedule that press conference for after that game, before that game, it just made, it made you look like you were looking ahead. It made you look like, and I know I'm using cliches and Stugatzisms, and I know I did, <laughs> didn't want to be accused of being a Stugatz earlier, but it just, it was it was unnecessary. It was an unnecessary inflicted wound. Yeah. And for all the good that had been rolling for the last two months, it was the first time really in two months where you're like, oh, well, shit, that's a, that's a step back. And it was just, it, it was it was an unforced error. Bingo. Uh, yeah. Just to bring this full circle, you know who sits on the uh, United States' bid committee board of directors? Uh, I'll guess one and then tell me. David Beckham? No. Donna Shalala. Full oh, circle. that's right. Full yes. circle. All right. Moving on now. Um, guess what? European seasons. Some leagues have kicked it's off time. and some haven't. So we're going to jump on our cliffhanger. Uh, cliffhanger. We're going to jump on our little airplane here and we're going to go across the pond. Uh, we're going to do something a little special here that I've been kind of giddy about for the last week or so uh, since the season has been starting up. What we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of prediction radio going on here now. Uh, we're going to run it down with Matt. Uh, maybe Matt has Drew's picks, and if Matt does not have Drew's picks, I promise that Drew will come on here next week and say his top four are the three, t- the four teams that won last week. Arsenal, if they win, uh, will be one of those four. And whoever scored the uh, a hat trick in the first week of the season will probably also be his golden boot winner um and we'll kind of go from there so what matt and i are going to we're do actually it. just really quick omar we're actually going to and actually now would be a good time to do sure. it um lee and drew both wanted to be available but we we didn't want to wait anymore to record and they are unavailable on this wednesday night uh but we're actually going to drop in lee's prediction now and we're gonna get drew's prediction next week oh. we don't know what lee's prediction is we don't know what drew's prediction will be um, but we'll have kind of an idea of Lee, who correctly predicted the Premier League champion last year, uh, what he thinks about the season, and then obviously we'll hear from Drew uh, this time next week. Oh, this is fun. We do we do um, do some production here. So before we start blabbing on about our picks, let's go to Lee. Let's hear what he has to say, and then we'll come back with uh, our look at the 2017-2018 Premier League season. Yeah, so the reigning champ is back. Um, no one really picked up um, Chelsea having that season last season, and I did. Um, you know, there was things like Guardiola's first season over here, that sort of thing. A lot of clubs not really having things uh, nailed down. So, so I went for them. But this year, I really think it's going to be City's year. I think, you know, they've they've had things that have not quite gone right for them and they've been chopping and changing. But I like the look of the players I have right through the team. So the top four is going to be City, Chelsea, United and Spurs. Um, I can't see Arsenal breaking back into it. I think Liverpool are going to regress a little bit. Sorry, Matt. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be my top four. I think the relegation is hard to pick out and there's six or seven teams that are going to be in that fight um, I don't think I can see Huddersfield staying up I think it's going to be two of the new teams um, Huddersfield Brighton and I think Watford will go down with them um, it, but like I say it's going to be a tough tough one I think that's going to be the toughest one to call out of all of them but I think one of the easiest ones to call is the golden boot and I think it's going to be Harry Kane again I think unless he gets an injury or it's maybe you know someone comes in with a mega bucks for him in the, in the January window. 
I can't really see who's going to take that golden boot off him. Um, and then if City have a good season, I think if we're looking at who's going to do the most assists, I think uh, Kevin De Bruyne. I think you know he's he's a really really good player, and I think he needs to break out. And if he's going to do it, it's going to be this season. So them's my picks. I think it's going to be a good year for City. Um, and I think, but I think Chelsea will push him. They'll push him hard. Well, this is fun because we now neither of us know what's going on. Um, and, and neither of us know what, what they're going to go with, and Matt and I haven't exchanged any information, so this is the way we're going to do it. The first thing I'm going to do is, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do the top four, which are the teams that will qualify automatically for Champions League spots at the end of the Premier League season. Matt, we're going to go one by one. I'm going to say which team I have sitting first. You're going to have which team you have sitting first. I'll come back and say second, so on and so forth. All right. You're okay, right. so we're going to go one to four. We're not going to go four to one. We're going to go. Actually, let's. Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go four to one. All right. Okay, four to one. All righty. So, in fourth place on my list, uh, I think Manchester City finishes fourth, gets that last Champions League playoff spot. I think the fourth team this year in the Premier League is going to be Tottenham. Ooh. All right. Yes, I think they're going to have a little bit of a backslide this year. Well, they're not going to fall out of the top four, but I think a little bit of a, a slowdown. Well, playing at Wembley hasn't been their best uh, friend. or you know That is one of the factors I'm considering. <laughs> so, coming in third, I actually had the Spurs coming in third. Uh, third, I will be a bit of a homer, but not crazy. I will put Liverpool in third this year. I'm aware of the Coutinho rumors. I think he leaves next year. I don't think he leaves this year. Um, I think that Liverpool will be able to build. I think Coutinho and Salah playing together will be dynamic with uh, Roberto Firmino. And, um, yeah, I think that the back line will get better somehow by magic. And we'll score 1,000 goals and give up, like, 980, and that'll be (laughs) enough to put us in the third. All right, sitting at second, uh, I don't think we're going to have back-to-back champions. I think Antonio Conte's men uh, will come in second, and I have Chelsea uh, in the runner-up spot. I agree with you. I also have Chelsea in the runner-up spot. I think that, they, you know, it's natural to kind of slip off. You know, Diego Costa appears to be a man without a country. Um, I think they're begging for a fallback. Um, I, I really like uh, Conte. I think, I think I, I, I like what he's doing. I really no longer hate Chelsea nearly as much as I used to. Um, <laughs> so this is really not coming from a place of malice. I just think... They're, they're going to want to focus on Champions League more. They're going to take their eye off the ball a little bit, and I think that they will come back a teeny tiny bit. Well, I'll say something, and then and then after we're done revealing who we think is going to finish top of the table, I'll bring in some, some guest picks, some guest picks that I heard today. or a bit, Not guests, but really guys I want to mention uh, that made their picks today on, on their own show. Um, I think Chelsea... I think the lack of having an out-and-out number nine might hurt them this season. Um, we don't know what to expect from Murata. Murata's going to be, you know, for his, possibly his first time as a full-time striker. You know, he's been very efficient off the bench for Real Madrid years in and years out. But just because you're efficient off the bench does not necessarily mean that you're going to be the, you know, efficient striker in a league that is much more physical um, and, and, you know, playing an extended amount of minutes, especially in European tournaments, etc. Um, all right. Homer pick. Uh, I think United has built uh, a very formidable defense. I think the additions of Lindelof and Bailly last season um, have done well. I think Manchester United's biggest weakness might be their left-back position, and hopefully Luke Shaw can, can 
you know, get healthy and stay healthy for an extended period of time. Um, the midfield, in my opinion, is is almost second to second to none. And I think the biggest problem that Manchester United is going to have is if Zlatan comes back in January, how do you distribute playing time for the forwards, including Lukaku and Rashford? Um, I think the midfield is incredibly dynamic. Anytime you add Paul Pogba with guys like, uh, you know, Mickey, uh, Mickey, uh, Henrik McKittery, uh uh, Mkhitaryan, I can't even talk right now. Mkhitaryan. Yes, uh, Ander Herrera is going to factor in Juan Mata. A lot of people like Fellaini. I personally don't, but I see Manchester United uh, <laughs> winning the league here. Not not by a big margin at all. Maybe one to two points, but I think United is going to um, seal it on the last match day. And my pick City. for the top of the Premier League table is Manchester City. Of course. I I believe that Romelu Lukaku is not what Manchester United need. I don't believe it was a good signing. And again, I have my biases. He's an Everton man going to uh, <laughs> Manchester United, but I really he's a very good player. But I think that attack is now with the subtraction of Zlatan and the addition of Romelu Lukaku. I think it is worse than it was last year, and it was already kind of okay. It, it wasn't no, it wasn't, wasn't good. It was the worst. It wasn't good. I'm, I'm trying to be generous here. It was not good. Um, you know, Zlatan got his goals and everything, but it, there were so many games where, where United were grinding it out, and they were they were sixth, you know, right? Or fifth? I, I'm not rubbing it in. Were they fifth or sixth? Uh, they finished. What did they finish? I think they finished fifth. I think they finished fifth. Yes. Right, yeah, I, they finished fifth. Um, so I just don't see... The the back is better, but that was never a problem. I mean, it, there was you could always improve, but that wasn't the problem for me. The problem was having the consistent forward flowing attack, and I just don't see how removing Zlatan and adding Lukaku again a good player. I'm not saying like oh he's a dud and he, it's, you're not going to score again. And obviously you have the young talent coming along that everyone is jealous of, um, so that will help. But I just don't see how that helps leapfrog five positions. And plus, now there's Champions League football. And that will certainly grab Jose's eye. I, I feel like Manchester United might have, a, might have a better kind of end result in the Champions League than they would in, in the Premier League because of, of Jose's ability to kind of game plan like one-off situations. He's, he's for as much as I loathe him, he is, when you give him, he's kind of like a, a, um, a Nick Saban in a way, where it's like you give him two weeks and one team, he can do, he can adjust his players in any way to kind of, at best, force a draw. Um, so, again, he's obviously won the Premier League, too, so I'm not saying that's beyond sure. him. I'm trying to be as fair as possible. No, I really yeah, am. Yeah, no, I'm, that's, that's I'm, fine. That's fine. I listen, you know, I, I, I'm not... We clearly disagree, and, I, and if I have them yes. first and you have them fifth, there's a good possibility that they finish third. <laughs> yeah, that's that's perfectly possible too. And there are a lot of people saying you have Liverpool third, you're a homer. I understand that too. I wouldn't be surprised if they were the one shut shut out of the, the the top four. That's a possibility as well. I do think I think City improved. I think City had a down season last year, 
I think they underperformed, and I think another year under Pep will will kind of get that engine rolling in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think they made kind of some smart buys in the off season. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were that far off in the first place, and I think they're now well positioned for that title. I will say, with regards to Manchester City, I didn't put them fourth because of any biases I have towards them being the other team in Manchester, but more along the lines of you've added so many players in the last two season, two seasons, and last year looked so dysfunctional and so disjointed that I, I wonder if there will be chemistry issues again this season, especially with the acquisition of all the fullbacks. So I think that might be the biggest reason why they don't really contend, per se, um, with regards to the you know the league table. But I think they're still going to make noise. I think this will be one of the first years in many years that we'll see the top seven power teams finish one through seven. What that order is, of course, to the end of the day, we'll never know. We'll leave it to the Premier League scriptwriters. But I, I don't see the top seven being cracked outside of you know, your power seven teams. Um, speaking of the power seven teams, I did want to go ahead and, and, and discuss this now. Men and Blazers put out their picks. Uh, Roger Bennett has Manchester City winning the Premier League title, followed by United, Chelsea in third, and Everton, Everton in fourth place. Um, Dave went a little bit extensive uh, in his reach. Uh, Michael Davies put out United in first, City in second, Liverpool in third, Everton in fourth, meaning the north of England has swept Yes. <laughs> it has absolutely <laughs> swept it. Um, it's like 1987 all over again. It's the northeast, <laughs> the, the, the the northwest powerhouse. Yes, uh, Spurs coming in fifth, Arsenal coming in sixth. He thinks that if Chelsea makes a deep run, uh, in order for Chelsea to make a deep run, uh, they will have to sacrifice the Premier League. Um, and I kind of agree with him in terms of how many players Chelsea has lost and how little they have added. Uh, all right, moving over to the relegation three. Um, in this case, we're going to go in any order, not necessarily 18, 19, 20, but just who are the three teams at the bottom. I, I will spit all three of mine out, um, and sure. then I will spit yours out, and then we can go ahead and discuss. Um, I've got Huddersfield Town. I don't think they're going to have enough. Uh, anyway, I wasn't going to break it down. Huddersfield Town, <laughs> Brighton, and Watford. The one caveat I have to this is I think Watford can stay away from the bottom three if West Bromwich Albion get crazy and sack Tony Pulis. If they sack Pulis they're getting relegated instead of Watford. Okay. So I were very much on the same wavelength here, I believe. I, I believe that Brighton and Huddersfield will make short stays in the Premier League, at least this time around. Uh, regrettably, because I love those 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 teams you either haven't heard of for a while or, or that are kind of new faces, but I, I just don't think they're in it for the long haul, at least on this time up. And... There is, I feel like, like you said, there's, there's one caveat where I don't think Swansea go down, and I know Lee will kill me for even mentioning them, uh, regrettably. <laughs> but if, if Gilfie gets sold, um, that changes the math. Um, right now, I, I would, I would probably actually agree with you and put Watford. I know it's really boring to, um, to put all three, but if, if, if Swansea can't hold on to that player I feel like that could that could swing the the bell uh swing the you know swing the weight against them I, I um, think so I, I think you're absolutely right I think uh the, the new teams might have problems uh I I want to see Brighton stay up I don't think they're going to be able to do so uh but I would love to see them stay up um additionally to that mention as well um Huddersfield Town, I don't think, have the firepower to stay in the Premier League. I don't know if they even have the defense, really, to stay up. And, and yeah, I think, you know, I don't think Swansea gets relegated. I think even if they sell Guilfee over to Everton, I do not, do not, do not think uh, that 
they get relegated. And the reason why I say that is I think they're going to have just enough firepower from the front. I know that they have a... Ah, his name is on the tip of my tongue. He just went over to Swansea on a loan, and I think he could be one of the players that kind of uh, keeps them up. I think it's Tammy Abraham. Uh, Chelsea loan out, went ahead and is now sitting at Swansea. I think he can have a breakout year for Swansea uh, and try to make some noise in order to earn first-time team at Chelsea. So I think that might be one of the saving graces for Swansea this season. Um, Tammy Abraham, by the way, sounds like a country singer in the 1970s, (laughs) a compatriot of Loretta Lynn. Go on. All right, Golden Boot, you first. Uh uh, would it would it be two on the nose to pick Harry Kane? Yeah, two on the nose, Harry Kane. All right, <laughs> who's got the most? Who, I mean, listen, it's one of those of uh, we're gonna pick him until he doesn't do it, and then when he doesn't do it, yes. we can all just be like, ah, all right, well, who, who else did it? Oh, surprisingly, Gabriel Jesus. Well, fuck me then. I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> moving on to most assists, who uh, I've got Gilfie. I think no, it doesn't matter what team he shows up in. Gilfie was third last year in the assist tally at a Swansea City team that didn't necessarily put a whole lot of. Uh, you know, goals in in the net. So, who do you have for most assists? Um, God, it's tough. Again, I feel like I'm I'm picking Man City to win the league, so I feel like I kind of have to pick De Bruyne, considering he led last year, and I'm kind of expecting everything to work better. Um, I feel like again, if he doesn't get, uh, I don't even know. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I'm gonna be boring and pick um and pick De Bruyne. Yeah, Alexis Sanchez has an injury that could be questionable. He might not even stay at he might not even he be may in the not Premier even League. Stay. Right, so. Um and again you look at you look at Liverpool. I wanna really wanna pick a Liverpool player for one of these awards, but <laughs> everything is so evenly distributed that right. you would assume Coutinho, but he wasn't even the assist leader on the, his own team last year, right. so who knows? Um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, let, let's go with De Bruyne. All right, De Bruyne. All right, and last but not least, uh, so manager of the year, who do you got? I guess Pep. Nope. I'm going to go. No? I'm going to say why no. I think we're going to see something that hasn't happened in a long time for the for really a good stretch of the last few years. Uh, the manager that's won the Premier League uh, has been considered manager of the year. I think Newcastle sneak into the top 10. And with Newcastle sneaking into the top 10, I think manager of the year ends up going to Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez, big name, big name. I can go for that. Yeah, big name. So, you know, it's understandable why he might be on people's radars and may not really qualify. He's a big name. That team should be there anyway. It's going to be the mindset with that coach. But I think if Newcastle sneak into the top 10, like I think they will, uh, I think you'll have him as manager of the year. I also think if Craig Shakespeare happens to get Leicester into a European spot. Again, this is big, right? But, <laughs> you know, granted, now uh, sitting at Leicester, Leicester just picked up uh, on loan. You see, I should know this. Uh, fuck. Why do I not know this dude's name? Who did, che- did who did Leicester just get? They got a guy on loan. Uh, actually, oh, man, this is going to bother me. Oh, this is such bad radio. What's his name? I forget. They got Ianacho. And by I forget... They got Ianacho. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nah, that's yes. who it is. They got I, oh, wow. So I, I had a conversation with a Man City fan about that when it happened. And then, um, yeah, I forgot all about that. Wow. All right. Yeah, my apologies. If, if Ianacho and Vardy link up and if Mares stays at Manchester, uh, at Manchester City, at Leicester City, uh, I think you could see Craig Shakespeare if Leicester finishes in the top seven or makes a run in the FA Cup. I think you can see him 
uh, winning manager of the year and stealing that from Benitez. Uh, but other than that, it's between those two guys. If none of those things happen, then whoever wins the Premier League title will be manager of the year, but that's not my prediction anyway. So I guess it'll be a toss-up. Uh, Rafa Benitez, my strong suit, my dark horse is uh, Craig Shakespeare. Okay, so I'm I'm picking Pep, but I want your pick to be right because I would love Rafa <laughs> to be manager of the year because I love that man. Um, that would be fantastic. So, okay, so that's our Premier League rundown, yes? Yes. Uh, obviously, you've heard these, and we haven't heard it yet. So hopefully, let's see how those uh, stay there. If you have predictions of your own, hit us up on that Magic City Soccer um, and, and share with us your predictions. Call us stupid, call us crazy, or, or, or love us and worship us, whichever you want. <laughs> that pretty much wraps up the show, right, Matt? I think so. Yeah, let's 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 put this thing to bed. Alrighty, Matt, go ahead. Um, Omar. As always, thank you, sir. You are the man. At Mubayat11 on Twitter. Uh, reach out if you have any questions or concerns about anything local soccer or even uh, Premier League soccer. Why not? I do want to give a, a shout-out before we leave. Thank you, Omar, by the way, for, for doing your thing, doing a great job. Um, I do want to give a shout-out uh, first to Canes Women's Soccer. They're in the preseason. Uh, they just lost a match, unfortunately, to UCF uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, it's an exhibition, though, so they're working out the Kings. And I want to give a shout-out to FC Kendall. Um, they are a member of the APSL. Um, they've rebranded. They're the former Uruguay Kendall. They're now uh, reaching out beyond uh, just one country, although it's a good country to be pulling talent from. Uh, they're, they're, we'll be having an APSL preview next week uh, because their fall season will be starting. Um, but, you know, we always love to give love to the uh, the Miami-Dade County teams. Uh, you know, you've got Red Force in that league. You've got FC Kendall. You have Miami United with their uh, under-23 squad. Yep. Um, so you have a lot of a lot of interesting stuff happening in that uh, in that uh, league and in that division. Uh, a lot of different things to talk about. So uh, we'll be going into greater detail about that going forward. But I do want to give them a shout out because they're the second half of their season is quickly approaching. Um, so Omar Mubayed, uh, you, you just heard from him saying uh, so long. I'm at Matthew S Bunch on Twitter. We're at Magic City Soccer on Twitter. We're on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Magic City Soccer. Um, magiccity.soccer is our website where you can see our written work and the podcast is posted there too and I think that's all the stuff I need to pimp out so uh, until next time he's been Omar, I've been Matthew thanks for listening to Magic City Soccer and until then, go Miami FC and go Miami Soccer